0: If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin a new series of messages this morning. It's going to be about the church. And we're going to start this morning with a message entitled, Prayer Grows a Church. And I want to talk this morning about Paul's um, view of of this subject in Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to start with um, just mentioning this morning that Tammy and I have candidated at several churches throughout the years. And we've heard a lot of stories about churches who have gone through some things, churches who have been in trouble for various reasons. And remember one church we went to, we had that the pastor for the last five years that he had been a senior pastor there before he left, would always show up two minutes before church would begin. He would come in, run the service, do his duty, and he was out the door. He was the first person out the door. He wouldn't greet anybody. He wouldn't uh, pray for anybody. He wouldn't call anybody. He wouldn't visit anybody. He just came there, kind of punched the spiritual time clock, and um, left and was unavailable for the rest of the week. He did as little as he could possibly do to get by, and then he just went home. Now clearly something happened in this pastor's life. I don't, I have no idea what it was, but something happened that made him lose his zeal for caring for people, for wanting to preach the word, for wanting to be um, a shepherd to these kind of to the people of the church. And he became instead of a shepherd, he became a hired hand that really only worried about punching the clock and and getting his paycheck. Now what happened to this man? We really don't know. But for, Because from all accounts, when the pastor had first come there uh, 10 to 15 years prior, he had been a hard-charging pastor. He had taken this little church, only 10 or, or 12 people left, and grown it into a church that was um, a couple of hundred. But somewhere along the way, he lost his zeal for pursuing the things of God. And I don't know the exact per, uh, details of how that pastor lost his zeal, but I knew know something that I can see within my own life and within the life of others. Is that I notice when my passion begins to fade, or that my eyes start to look at things or wander to other pursuits than pursuing the will of God for my life, or when I feel tired and I want to quit, I ask myself this question. When was the last time, John, did you spend quality time with God? When was the last time you visited the prayer closet? When was the last time you just sat before God in silence and listened to what He had to say to you? And that is my firm belief. It's a belief that has been molded in me, both by life circumstances and, and the Word of God, that our prayer lives is all the difference in how we live our life. God shapes us, He molds us, and He takes care of us and uses us not on the basis of of a diploma. It's not what you have hanging on the wall. It's not the talents that you have or or how He's using you um, with your talents. It's all about spending time with Him in the prayer closet. And many of us, if we're honest with each other, struggle with this, don't we? We struggle setting ourselves apart from God. Most of us, when we watch a room, or excuse me, a movie like *The War Room*, and we want that kind of relationship with God, where we're, we have a prayer closet that's set aside, and we decide that we're going to go do it, we grab our Bibles, we grab a notebook and a pen, and when we go and sit somewhere and look at the walls and wondering how and where to begin this kind of pursuit of God, if that's you, then this message is for you today. And I want to spend some time and look at what Paul had to tell the Philippian church about how he prayed for them. Now, Paul didn't do this to make himself out to be super spiritual. He didn't didn't explain this to make make the Philippian church say, man, I'm glad that guy is my apostle. He was giving them an example to follow. And it's that example that I want to talk about here this morning. Because I know that it's the way to maintain our spiritual zeal for the things of God and to maintain Christian unity and Christian love in this community of faith that God has called us to. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is Paul talking to the uh, Philippian church. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, whether I am in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify about how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that you just take this message and use it to impress upon us the importance of prayer in our lives and the prayers in the life of this church. Father, I just ask, Lord, that we become a church family that prays for each other, a church family that loves each other, a church family that is committed to each other so that we may carry forth the banner of Jesus Christ into this community and see many souls come and join this family of faith. Father, that's my prayer this morning. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Now the big idea that I want to share this morning is that I read a lot of things about church growth. I've read a lot of books about how people will take a church like ours that only has a few people left in a rural community that doesn't seem to be a lot of people around, and they take it and they turn it into a thriving church. And I appreciate those kind of books, but in the end, I want to uh, follow what God has for us. Saying that, experts in having a healthy church list a few factors that determine the health of the church. Number one is that the health of a church is based on the love and trust the congregation has for its pastor. That sounds like a given, right? You have to trust the guy that's standing up there every Sunday if if the church is going to grow. Number two, the health of a church is also judged by how the congregation loves and trusts each other. That seems like another given. We have to love and trust each other if if God's going to grow this church. In number three, the health of the church is determined on how much they are impacting the community for the kingdom of God. In other words, a question that was asked asked to all the pastors in our district several district councils ago was this. If your church closed tomorrow, would anybody other than the people in this room even notice? Would the community notice? And that last point is what drives me personally. What impact are we making on our community? But we, can't put, we have to put first things first. We can't accomplish that third point without the first two being in place. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Number one, you guys are at least tolerating me, and you haven't thrown hymnos at me when I'm preaching, so I think we, we have that covered. Don't give Pastor Roger any ideas. He's looking for one. I think we all love and trust each other. So how do we build on our first two strengths and and so the third can uh, start being more and more evident in the life of our church? First, this scripture that we read this morning plainly teaches that we should pray for one another. We should pray for one another regularly. We should pray for one another passionately, not just to punch a spiritual time clock, but with an earnestness and an expectation that God will answer the prayers of the people we're praying for and bless them and use them for the sake of the kingdom of God. This scripture just that we read lays out how we should pray for each other and that we should, how should we incorporate that our prayer in our prayer lives when we enter into our closets and meet with God. And Paul gives us four principles that I believe if we put them into practice will help our church stay healthy and not and grow not only numerically but spiritually and grow in effect in its effectiveness to this community. The first way that we show our love for each other in prayer is that our prayer for each other should be filled with thankfulness. Paul began his prayer by saying I thank my God every time I remember you. I was reminded as I was studying for this this morning of a story that I had read and a series of books that um, influenced my life as a Christian. It was actually a work of fiction by an author named Francine Rivers and she wrote a a series of books called The Mark of the Lion. These books take place in Rome in the 2nd century, and they tell the story of a young Jewish girl named Hadassah. Hadassah's family was a Messianic Jew who happened to be in Jerusalem around the time that Jerusalem was finally demolished by Rome. Her whole family was killed, and she was taken prisoner and taken back to Rome and sold into the slave markets to a very wealthy Jewish family, or excuse me, Roman family this Roman family took her and made her be a maid to their daughter, Julia. Hadassah's very quiet demeanor was a stark contrast to the loud and, and, and boisterous person that Julia was. And Julia would often mistreat Hadassah and made her life miserable. Yet there was something about Hadassah, there was a peace and a tranquility tranquility in her life that Julia found compelling. That Julia, for years, people kept telling her to get rid of that that ugly Jewish maid she had, but Julia just kept bringing her around and keeping her with her. But eventually, she finally fell into that wrong crowd. And that crowd hated Hadassah. They hated her for being a Christian. They found out that she was a Christian, exposed her, and sent her to the arena to be eaten by lions. Julia gave her over to that arena, and the lions attacked her and severely mauled her, and she was left for dead. But she was found by a doctor in training who who healed her and brought her back for the drink of death. But she was severely scarred and had permanent damage to her leg, making it very hard to walk. She was so disfigured that she would actually wear a veil so it wouldn't make other people feel uncomfortable when they saw the claw marks and the teeth marks in her face. And through all this... Hadassah never stops praying for Julia. And most importantly, she never stops giving thanks to God for Julia. Eventually, the Lord Jesus leads her to return to Julia, who is now dying of a wasting venereal disease. And Julia, through Hadassah's witness, is eventually brought to Jesus Christ on her deathbed. And I read stories like that of Hadassah I remember reading this as I and going I can't even comprehend that kind of faith. That is crazy faith. That is that is miraculous faith. But that's the faith that we are supposed to have. I read stories like that and I look at it and I'm like am I even saved? Because there's no one there's no way if somebody did that to me that I'd wanted to come back and serve them like that and risk being thrown back into the lions again. There's no way I'd want to voluntarily attend her while she dies of a disease that she brought upon herself. And not only do that, not only say, okay, God, I'll go over there and do this, but she does it with joy in her heart. And I ask God, what is it about Hadassah's heart in that circumstance that, that, that made her or compelled her to do this? It was because Hadassah had a heart that was filled with thanksgiving toward God. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church, he's writing to a church to a, a, per, a bunch of people who largely hated him. And yet he gave thanks for them. Paul's joy came from his love for people. He came, It came out of his love that they were saved, that they were serving God. They had come out of darkness into the glorious light of Jesus. So Paul rejoiced no matter what the personality conflict was about. They were saved. And that is what he focused on. And that is one of the secrets to having that heart of thanksgiving, that heart of joy in our life. It's choosing for ourselves which lens you want to look through life with. If we use the lens of the flesh... We can look at something like what is happening in Milwaukee and saying, well, those people that are rioting right now in Milwaukee, they're just a bunch of savages. The National Guard should just go in with gunships, wipe out the whole thing. That would be the heart of flesh. That would be using our thoughts, our emotions, our experience to try to, to try to look at the world. But when we use our thoughts, when we use our emotions, when we use our experience to look at the world, we can never know the peace, love, or presence of God because we're using the eyes of flesh to view the world. But if we use the lens of Jesus to look at the world, we will see as He sees. He sees the north side of Milwaukee as being very poverty-stricken. He sees them being under just a cloak of darkness, of spiritual darkness that has to be broken with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we're going to see as Jesus sees, if we choose to look through the lens of Jesus, we're going to feel as He feels, and we will love like He loves. Even to the point of thanking Him for people who mistreat us, people who use us, people who are spiteful to us. And that joy should permeate everything that we do. And it will lead for us to pray in faith, believing for those around us. The second way that we show our love for each other in prayer is that we should pray for the spiritual growth of the person. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, Paul said, because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When I was in basic training... Everybody has been in the military has basic training stories. When I was in basic training in Georgia, we had a rather large drill sergeant named Staff Sergeant Monk. Staff Sergeant Monk had to stand at least six foot four, probably weighed at least 230 pounds of pure muscle, came from Detroit, and I was absolutely sure that Drill Sergeant Monk hated my guts. I was absolutely sure. He, he seemed to single me out for everything. Anybody, you've been in that situation where you've had a boss that just hates you? You know how miserable your life can be at work when your boss hates you? Now imagine a guy that has absolute control over you and you think that he hates you. I mean, this is not I can't just walk into a drill sergeant's office and sit him down and say, you know, is there a personality thing between you and I? You know, it, it's not going to turn out too well. We had a a brigade level inspection and that's when the full bird colonel, guy with the the ego on his thing, that's a rank right below general, he's going to come and inspect the barracks and and ask you questions and and different things and you better get everything exactly right because this is the, the guy, this is the man who is coming to inspect you. The drill sergeants would do their own inspection a few hours before to make sure we're ready because it's going to look bad on them if, if, if we look like a bunch of slovenly pigs. So he came, they came through to do their own inspection to make sure we were ready. And I remember I spent hours preparing my boots, preparing my uniforms, making sure everything in my, in my locker was dressed like dress, and the underwear and socks, everything were where they're supposed to be, folded correctly, belt buckle shined. Everything was absolutely perfect, or so I thought. Joe Sergeant Monk came through with a white glove. He went into the corners. He went into the rails and the, and the slider for the locker. He went everywhere. Didn't find a single thing wrong with my locker until he reached down into my workout shoes, dug inside, and he found one grain of sand inside my workout boots. Now, I was at the end of the, uh, of the inspection. He hadn't dug in a single person's workout shoe until he got to mine he found one grain of sand before I know it my locker is now airborne going across the bay and everything just flying everywhere and he got into my face he dropped me and uh, down to the ground I'm doing push-ups and he's screaming in my face about how lazy I am how I lack attention to detail and how poor of a soldier I was and I'm never going to make it in this man's army My friends helped me get my locker back together in time for inspection, which I plastered with flying colors. Now at the end of basic training, Drill Sergeant Monk called me and a few of the others into his platoon uh, our, uh, in our platoon into his office. And I figured, you know, okay, we graduated. This is his last time to scream at us and smoke us. If you don't know what smoking is in the military, that means they drop you and make you do push-ups until your arm fall off. As drill Sergeant Monk used to say, Private, you better start pushing because until Georgia gets six inches closer to South Carolina, we aren't going to stop doing push-ups. So start pushing. So I'm thinking in there, okay, I'm going to go in there and get a workout and get screamed at and everything one last time by drill Sergeant Monk before we move on to our advanced schools. I was surprised when we got there, he's sitting behind his desk, he actually stood up, walked around and shook both of our hand, all of our, our, us, our three hands. And he said that we were the best soldiers that he had in this evolution of basic training. I was surprised, I was floored. He's, and he said this, he said, you know what, I was extra tough on you, this evolution, because he said, I saw something in you that made me want to push you harder. Some of you guys have been talking about ranger school. Some of you guys have been talking about airborne school. Going into these advanced schools. He said, so I wanted to push you. I wanted to make you crack. I wanted to put that kind of a, a weight upon you to toughen you up, to get you ready for what you're going to go into. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life and it helped put me put that last 14 weeks into a different perspective for me to know that that drill sergeant monk gave me his worst so that I could become my best this was paul's perspective of the churches that he was an apostle over it was like paul was saying to them look sometimes i have to write things in my letter or say things when i'm with you that are going to be tough He was saying, I'm going to offend you. I'm going to push you forward in the things of Christ because I am more concerned about your condition before Jesus Christ than I am whether or not you like me. I may push you so hard that you're going to want to shuck this whole Christian faith and run back to the world. But you know what? I have my faith. Not in you necessarily, but I have faith in the one that lives within you. That he is going to bring you to the completion of what he has for you and his plan in your life. He's going to complete that work that he started. And that should be the basis of our prayers for one another. Not that we should dwell on each other's failures or lack of growth. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be our heart. But that we focus on Christ Jesus and His faithfulness to complete the work that He has started in each one of us. Amen. Roger, He's going to start, complete the work He started in you. Bernie, He's going to complete the work He started in you. Keith, Conrad, ladies, He is going to complete the work He started in you. James, even you. He's going to complete the work He started in you. Just think about that for a moment. He is faithful to complete the work He has started in you. That should be a reason to be thankful before God this morning. Amen? We should be thankful for each other. We should be focused on Christ Jesus within each other. And that should help us to pray for the third way. We should show love to each other through prayer. And that is number three, that God's presence should fill that person. Paul said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Let me ask you a question. When you go to the gas station, do you pull up to the air holes and stick the air holes in your gas tank and try to fill your gas tank? That's not going to work out too well, will it? I mean, it's silly. Cars run on gas, not air, right? Then why do we spend hours focusing on God, asking for things of this earth, instead of focusing on asking for more of God within our lives? We're trying to fuel at the wrong source. And sometimes our prayers for one another can look like that. Lord, help him get a better car. Lord, help him find a better job. Lord, help him have a bigger house. Lord, help him have you know things in this world. Instead of simply saying, God just explode in his life. You know, it's actually one of my favorite parts of our times together is hearing prayer requests. I actually want to hear your prayer request because it helps me to pray for you. Even if, if some of these things may seem like they're secular things, it helps me to, to see your heart and it helps me to love you. And, and when, I, when I kneel before God and pray for you, it helps me to, to know what's on your heart. And that's why I'm intimately interested in what is concerning you and what we should be praying about. And I'd love to lift those requests up before God and see him move on your behalf. But when I pray for you all during the week, my prayer isn't so much those prayer requests, although I do remember those. It's that God's love may abound more and more in you. Why his love? Because you can't understand the Bible until you understand God's love. You can't understand your life and its purpose until you know His love. And you can't make sense of your circumstances or the situation that you are in in this life until you are sure of His love. Then and only then may your knowledge increase and your depth of insight be sure. Only then can you discern what His will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will when it comes to your life and the life of others. And only then can your prayers for yourself and others be truly effective? God's presence is the key to our prayer life. That's the whole purpose. And that leads us to our fourth and final point, that God's presence will enable us to see as God sees. Verse 10 says, that "...so you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think that one of the biggest things in life that keeps us from praying is lack of vision. We focus so much on what we perceive to be real that it pushes the miracle of prayer, to the back burner, we focus so much on the news, so much on newspapers, so much on on reading magazines, or so much on the internet and, and its information, that we forget to shut all that off. We need to learn to stop in this life, especially in this day that we live in. We need to shut off the phones, we need to shut off the TV, we need to unplug from the internet and just sit quietly before our God that is going to be so essential to our survival in these last days is just simply spending time unplugged from this world and plugged back into God. Truth, It is said that truth is reality as seen through the eyes of God. And that's pretty deep if you sit there and think about that for a minute, that truth is reality as seen through the eyes of God. But how can you and I figure out what reality is unless we ask the author of all reality to reveal it to us? The Bible says that right now we see is through a mirror darkly. That's referring to mirrors in biblical times. They weren't really mirrors, they were highly polished um, Um, discs of bronze that wouldn't do do any type of real reflection, but you would see kind of an image in there, but it wouldn't be anything that was really clear. It would often be blurry and, and, and a darkened image. That is how God describes our ability right now to perceive life and what's going on around us right now, that we see through a mirror darkly. And that's why we need to spend time with God in prayer. Especially now, especially now, we need to discern our lives and what is best and what is right within the will of God through our lives, through His eyes, so that we can pray for what is best, what is right, and what is the will of God for each other and other people's lives. And that's how we show our love for each other this morning in our prayer lives. Moving forward in this body, believers, we need to understand that we need to, have a, uh, we need to be praying with a heart of thankfulness. We need to be concerned with the spiritual growth of each other in our prayer life. We need to be asking God to fill people with His presence and fill the person sitting next to you right now with more of Him. And we, ask, we need to ask God that His presence will help us to see as He sees. If we do that, it's going to be so critical for maintaining our love for Jesus. It's going to be more critical for maintaining our walk with Him and our witness to this community.